family and friends. Of course, I go by the name of the kid, famous. You and now tuned into the Tim and Friends show. I love education and entertainment, coast to coast, balling up, calling it entertainment. Let's get this started. Uncle Tim, let's start this show in five, four, three, two, one, let's go. So I uh, spent most of yesterday attempting to give some perspective to Jays fans by saying that they still own the first wild card spot. Well, you did. <laughs> 24 hours later, Jesse Rubinoff, it is the third wild card spot. And if they aren't careful, by the end of this series with the O's, it could be no wild card spot. Timikov, Jesse Rubinoff with you. On Sportsnet until Blue Jay Central takes over right here on the airwaves of the Sportsnet family of channels. As always, game day starts right here with Tim and Friends. Caleb Joseph and Buck Martinez will stop by to help make sense of it all. But it's not just the Jays. No, no, no. With Kevin Durant's drama back in full swing, the author of the story that started the latest chapter of the novel that is Kevin Durant, Mark Stein, will join us to discuss the poop storm. Mm. Started by his column, Fairly or Not. Yeah, that's usually how it goes in this business. Now. Right. Yeah. Yes. Just clicks. Yeah. I got caught. Uh, speaking of <laughs> basketball, a couple of days after the conclusion of the fourth season of the CEBL, the Canadian Elite Basketball League, their commissioner, Mike Morielli, will join us to discuss if Canada can really support a domestic pro league and just how important those domestic pro leagues are to our kids, our pros, and our national programs in basically every sport outside of hockey. Do you think the average sports fan understands just how important domestic pro leagues are to grooming pros? No, I think that's what you're here for. I hope so. Yeah. That, so. do, that, you, do you know? Like, I, I know that we've talked about it in the past, but no, well, you're shaking your head. No, I, I, I think I have underestimated in the past how important leagues are at the national level. Yeah, because we're so spoiled by the guys south of the border, we think that's the be-all and end-all. Totally. And usually it is because that's the best league yeah. in the world. However, every other country on planet Earth except for England in soccer has the second best or worse Pro league in whatever sport they're playing, right? It's eye-opening. That's why we bring the heat to the people. Uh, we'll do that in the final half hour, 6.30 to 7 p.m. Eastern on Sportsnet 360, and we hope to stick around for that conversation. But without further ado, from your humble narrator, let's get the show on the road. Ruby, Biggie, first things first. Let's start the test. Aaron Best. Aaron Best. Good player. Close, close, close. Close. Uh, a lot of pressure today because a lot of people wrote in yesterday and said, like, we were in a bit of a groove yesterday, like feeling it, energy was up, back mm-hmm. from vacay. Yeah. So I think the, the pressure is on a us tanned. to keep it a little tanned. Yeah. You're tanned. We're it's bo- Wonderland. We're both, wow, hold on a second, boots and hearts. Like, you, you, okay. you, you overplayed my hand and underplayed your hand. Like, weren't you oh, in yesterday? a VIP section at Boots and Hearts while you were killing me for the fast pass? No, no, no. At Canada's wrong. Wonderland. You were killing yourself for the fast pass. That had no, nothing you, to do with you. You knew I was what saying you were doing fine. when you asked if I got the fast pass because we had the conversation <laughs> off the air. And you knew there was a little bit of shame in my heart coming from the guy who was VIP with Matt Devlin I, I, I at Boots did and Hearts. What a guy. What a, just, a, yeah. just a great, great guy. So smooth. And a very Love good family, too. And wonderful family. Yeah. yeah, it was a pleasure hanging out with Matty D at uh, Boots and Hearts. But uh, 
Yeah, you know, so did you VIP, see fast pass. Boots and hearts or what? Okay. This Quit is, deflecting here. This is going to be. People don't know you, dude. They think I'm so mean to you. And they don't understand <laughs> our off the, off the camera conversations oftentimes appear on the, the camera when Jesse's yeah. attempting to throw Uncle Timmy under the bus. Yeah, I, I knew you were going to come back. So, in here boots and hearts, mister. Did you watch Shania Twain from okay. your VIP section? Here's, here's the interesting part about Shania Twain. So, uh, I looked at the forecast. Very bad. Mm-hmm. Thunderstorms coming within 20 minutes minutes of her performance i took off i left before oh. shania twain i know i know i left before the main attraction of boots and hearts i get it but i'm driving south yep. and i see the weather this is not going to be good for those at boots and hearts right. evacuation of the festival oh really evacuation of the festival run for cover very little cover at boots and hearts not mm. a lot of cover. vip section has cover but right. uh, yeah. Not yeah. a lot of coverage. It hasn't been a, a good couple of weeks for festivals in Toronto. <laughs> that's a very good, that's a very <laughs> good point. So, yeah, she, she, the rain Music came. They festivals. evacuated everybody. They came yeah. back. She was on for, I think, a little bit of a shorter amount of time. But mm-hmm. uh, kudos to everybody who stayed despite the weather situation going on there. It was, like, flooded. So, and, so and, VIP boots and hearts, eh? Yeah, I made the VIP decision to get it a Dodge Fast. That don't impress me Get much. back very. When did you think about this? Like, 8 a.m.? Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I was trying to sort out when I could get in the... That don't impress me much, and I figured the VIP was probably very good. Why, yeah. Very good. Yeah. Uh, well, I wasn't going to do it to Matty Devlin. I'll tell you that much. No, definitely not. Uh, the Orioles, you could say, the Orioles took the boots to the Blue Jays last hey, night. The Jays haven't impressed me much either. There you go. Uh, costly loss for Toronto last night in the opener. You say Kikuchi struggled again, and the Jays were passed in the wild card standings by the Mariners and Rays yesterday, as we alluded to in the intro. You tried to give Jays fans some perspective. I'm going to back the bus up over you one yeah, more time. Yeah, no this is two in two days. Yeah, I'm good. And your first point was they are still in the first wild card spot. Uh, last we checked, they are not no, anymore. No, so they're would not. You like and that to, was quick, right? Are you changed? That was yeah, life comes uh, yeah. at you fast. First to third wild card, faster than you can say, Kikuchi. Yeah, um, that was pretty amateur hour stuff from the Jays last night. They I mean, last night. Yeah, they were just not yeah. good. Yeah. And and to like for me to sit here and give perspective and try and lobby that this is a good team that I don't know how good they are and if they struggle with actually being great to back it up with that. Like, hits 8-8, eight, eight, but you add, what, five walks and a couple of errors, and it's a 7-3 ball game? Like, it, it's funny. I wondered if John Schneider would come out firing post-game last night. Like, I, I, I thought maybe after – this one was tough. The the Bobachette to home after a tough play and Mateo beat – like, what not enough Toronto folks were talking about was how quick Mateo was to home play. It was plate. ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> that was ridiculous. ridiculous it's not, that, that play is not, I mean, Bo Bichette made a great play. Yeah, that's not Bo's fault, that play. Bo's had a that couple play. of, yeah, yeah. A, a couple of things that you could say are his fault. That Watch this. Yeah. It's a shot. He goes straight home. It's a decent throw. Looks like Timmy in the 40. Oh, my Woo. God. That is not even close to Timmy in the 40. <laughs> that, is, that is elite speed. And I don't even know if she'd send him infield drawn in, hot shot. Of what course, it knocked do? him back a bit. But, dear God. What are you supposed to do? But here, here's, here's my point about the John Schneider. Mm-hmm. I thought that he would come out firing post-game about how we can't play like that. It was his second straight game. And he did dabble there. But what it tells me, and, and, and tell me if I'm wrong here. I want to have the conversation with you at home with you, Jesse mm-hmm. Rubinoff. Is that because this team's fragile? Did he not come out firing at what was a second straight lackluster performance, especially defensively, seven runs in what their last four games? 
Did he not come out firing because this is a fragile team that he's worried about? Well, you can certainly look to the pitcher on the mound, and part of the reason I don't think he went after specifically Yusei Kikuchi is because he certainly appears to be extremely fragile in his role. Correct. Uh, the rest of the team, there, there has been this, like, and many fans do think that there has been this aura of immaturity around this team, and it does seem like someone needs to give them a little bit of a kick in the pants, and to your point, last night seemed like it would be a good spot to do that, but maybe they're just lacking that that ownership, that leadership in the room where someone can do that on their own, and then they need the manager to do it, and he's just not. Yeah, is that doing Jackie it. Bradley Jr. now? I mean, that, like George Springer, but he's been around the whole we time. We talked to George Springer in, on opening day, and I asked him if he was the veteran in the room, and he said, "Nah, not really." So then, who I'm is it? I'm one of the guys. That's that's why I think they brought in Jackie Bradley Jr. Like last night, have you? I'm back to surfing IG because I'm back on the show and sometimes I get good stuff from yeah. IG. And one of the trending sounds right now on IG is Rex Ryan. Have you heard this Rex Ryan clip that is now trending on Instagram right now? Yeah. And people put their own video to what he's about to say. Yes. I, I want to ask you, and keep in mind, Rex never won um, when you hear this. <laughs> but it's that step from young, good team to team with expectations and I wonder if the Toronto Blue Jays are struggling with that step and maybe they need Rex Ryan to walk into the room. Here's, here's the clip that I've been seeing numerous times on IG over the last little while. Last year, hey, we were under the radar. That's a good place to be. F*** that. The best place to be is when expectations are high. Get used to it. It's always going to be that way. And now let's go out and prove everybody right. We know we're better than you. We don't give a if you know it or not, we don't we don't give a if you give us your best game, we're going to give you our best game and we're going to beat the out of you. How's that? Let's go get it. <laughs> Everything's better when you have to bleep out numerous times, right? <laughs> but is is that where the Jays are struggling? Yeah, but wasn't this supposed to be John Schneid? Like they got rid of Charlie Montoya because supposedly that wasn't him. Like he didn't know how to rally them, how to discipline them properly, how to hold them accountable, how to hold them accountable. Wasn't that, those were part of the talking points that we heard on the day that Ross Atkins and John Schneider met with the media when that move was made. So the question is, why? And so is I, this I guess now, point, it's a fragility like we're, thing. We're seeing Bo Bichette and John Schneider talking. And for those who don't know, Bo Bichette has now been shuffled down the lineup. He is hitting seventh tonight. Is, is that the John Schneider accountability that we're talking about? Here's a look at today's lineup against the Orioles game two of three in what feels like an awfully important game for August 16th and Bo Bichette, one of the futures yeah. of this franchise is batting seventh in the lineup and I can see a nod, a shake of the head. Yeah, from I'm shaking in my chair. Yeah, I don't think that this is a message sending. I really believe that this is a move to give the Jays the best opportunity to win. And right now, having Bo in a premium spot in the order is not giving them the best chance to win. He's, he hasn't been good enough. And it, it's surprising, honestly, that it took this long to shuffle him this far down in yeah, the but order. Yeah, I mean... Isn't it? You, isn't that just accountability? Isn't what you just described accountability? You haven't been good enough, so we're going to shuffle you down the lineup. That's the, like, for me... That's the epitome of accountability. Yeah, but but he also has a responsibility to the team to give them the best hey, chance to but win. But what so, I'm saying is... So, so hold- it could be a both. A thing yeah, he's, both. Hold- he's holding Bo Bichette. Here, here's John Schneider. On, and listen, Bo Bichette is, has a 301 on base percentage. Mm. That's not very good. No. 301 
on base percentage. There's guys on this team. Like Alejandro Kirk is hitting 310. Yeah. Right? So here's John Schneider on the shuffling of Bichette down the lineup. I think more than anything, it's trying to just shake things up with our offense. He's a huge part of our offense. Um, not, don't know if it's going to be a permanent thing. See how it goes today. I think it can help him by maybe taking a little bit of pressure off of himself. And um, you know, we like the at bats that you know Chappie and Guriel are having, and it gives them a chance too. But you know, he's obviously he's a huge part of our team, um, and kind of just shaking it up tonight. The best thing about Bo is he's going to go out and compete to win every single night no matter what the situation is um i'd be lying if i said he wasn't disappointed a little bit um but as a yeah as a competitor i think that's just kind of who he is and you know we'll see how it goes tonight obviously if you comb the internet over the last little while you understand there might be some distractions in bobachette's life right now mm-hmm. and he's he's scuffling obviously on the field right now but i think that this is and i also think like the whole conversation surrounding last night's game was What's your accountability for Yusei Kikuchi? Like, I know that they've paid him a lot of money. I know that he's scuffled. I know that he shows flashes of brilliance. But what do you say about Yusei? Well, we asked the fans. Uh, we put a digital uh, engager out. Uh, what should the Blue Jays do with Yusei Kikuchi? And I'll give you my take, and I'll give you a couple of uh, the viewers' takes. I mean, it's, it's far past time where he can't pitch anymore. And then you get to what do you do with him? Does he go to the bullpen or does he go somewhere else? Does he get another can't next, start next strain? Cannot start anymore. Because when you're playing good teams, clearly they're not good enough against good teams anyway. And then when you're putting a pitcher out there who automatically puts you into a deficit, like you don't have enough time. What's he going to make, nine more starts? Mm-hmm. Is there any stretch where you think he could put together three, four, five good starts in a row to give you confidence that – they can get the wins they need to even make the playoffs now. Like, it's an urgent time. You have to put your best players on the field. And right now, irrespective of who else they have, it has to be someone that's, Has to be someone better than Kikuchi. That's not irrespective. Uh, I, I will say this. Irrespective of who else they have is the actual point of it. Who else do well, they have? Well, it's Mitch White, and that's it, right. which is concerning. It is, it is Mitch White or no one, right. and you don't even know what Mitch White is. But I will tell you this. One of the minds that I respect most in this business, Joe Siddle, last night, completely agrees with you. They can't send it back out there. There's just no way. If you're trying, if you have playoff aspirations for this team, which we all knew they know they do, you can't send it back out there. So what you've got is two starts of Mitch White, both four and two-thirds. One against Cleveland where he allowed one run, but was real nerve-wracking in the first inning. And the second was against Minnesota, four and two-thirds, three runs, six hits, two Ks, one walk. The Jays lose 7-3. So they lost 7-3 last night. I would suggest to you maybe Minnesota's a better team than the Baltimore Orioles. But I get get the frustration. I understand why you'd go this way. I also understand that the team has invested three years and $36 million into Yusei Kikuchi. And I also understand that they don't have enough organizational depth. Remember when Ross Atkins came on this show after the trade deadline? And I asked him if he was okay with his organizational depth at starter with just picking up Mitch White. And he said, 
Of course. <laughs> he, he did say there, that. It yeah. was almost indignant. I don't think he understood the question the first time. And then the second time around, there was an almost indignant response to me asking that question. And we sit here now, just a couple of weeks later, and go, who the bleep are they turning to when you, can, you say Kikuchi can't do enough? And Joe Siddle, who is not afraid of an opinion, unreal, but is yeah. always very, very fair, says, you can't start him anymore. So you got one guy. You got you got Mitch White. You got one guy. Now, I guess that's the same for a lot of teams. We see bullpen days all over yep. Major League Baseball. But I just think that they're in a tough spot here. And I wouldn't be surprised if the three years and $36 million isn't playing. We'll ask Caleb Joseph. We'll ask Buck Martinez a little later on. But I wouldn't be surprised if the three years, $36 million isn't playing into the decisions that are being made by one management. And as we know in modern-day baseball... Manager and management. Bringing the heat again today. Gotta love it. Feels like it's Groundhog Day with this team, though. It's like last year, they should have gotten more relievers quicker. They should have probably got more starting pitchers yeah. at the deadline. And again, here we sit. Not enough yeah. depth. I love Blake what Murphy's happened? pressure just, index. Yeah. Have you ever heard him talk yeah. about like yeah. the pressure yeah. index? I, I'm, I have supported Shapiro and Atkins. I said, let them have their time. Let them figure out. Let them attempt to to deliver what they're saying they're going to deliver. And to this point, they have delivered. Mm-hmm. But the, the last couple signings, that they look at Barrios. That hasn't worked out. And listen. That's bizarre. That one's weird, considering the consistency of his entire career. E- either, agreed. Mm-hmm. Either way, it hasn't worked out. Yep. So yep. I think, like, Ross Atkins, the pressure is on him right now. Like, totally. and, and I haven't said that as of yet. I'm saying it now. All right, uh, pressure is also on the New York Yankees, who lost to the Tampa Bay Rays 4 last night after a 3 nothing loss to the Red Sox on Sunday. It's the first time they've been shut out in consecutive games since 2016. Do the Yankees' struggles make you feel better or worse about both. the Jays' slump? Both. Yeah, both. Is that a fair answer? Both? Yeah, because better because the Jays haven't fallen further than 10 games back. I didn't know if they were going to. But it, it shows how the marathon is not a sprint, and we should always remember that even with the best teams in the league. Here's 32 games where the Yankees haven't been good, and before that they were unbelievably good, which just goes to show you that there are ebbs and flows, and to be fair to the Jays, every time we have asked for the panic button this year, Jesse, back me up on this, whenever the fans have asked for the panic button, the Jays have responded in kind with some really good play. Yeah, <laughs> literally every time. Yeah, But it makes me feel worse also because if you had to play any sort of decent ball, you could have, probably could have been within six, maybe five games of what is now a distinct advantage given the way the playoffs roll out. If you win the division, it is a distinct advantage in my yeah. mind. Well, it, These it, days. it felt like the Yankees were going to win like 120 games this season, and, and now they got to win, what is it, like a, a, a lot of games here. I wrote it down somewhere. Hold on. twenty. They got to go 28 and 18 over 100. the rest to win 100 games when we thought they were going to go like they were going to have 120 wins. Yeah, we, were, we, were, we thought we were talking about uh, the, the Mariners back in the Literally. day. Literally. And, uh, yeah, you're, you're looking at uh, Rizzo's meltdown. So th- they're not in danger of losing this division, even though they're playing this poorly. If their pitching is still doing well, it's hey, basically man. been the offense. There's not enough time left. It looks like they're getting healthy. Lead. It looks like they'll add Stanton. It looks like they'll add LeMahieu. And you might see them start out slugging teams a little bit more and not having to... Like, I think they'll find some balance as they get healthy, but this is the game of baseball, man. It just, shows, the, you, it just shows you that yeah. things can happen to all teams at all times during a 162-game season. 
Speaking of, before we move on, at least you're not the White Sox. And listen, I know they've played better of later. They've won four in a row. But if you ever wonder why teams are repeatedly bad, like, I don't know, the Leafs in the 80s, the Dolphins basically since Dan Marino left, the Clippers for ever. (laughs) Well, kids, in my humble opinion, bad franchises are bad franchises because they have terrible leadership. And those terrible leaders get duped. Duped into hiring bad presidents, bad GMs, coaches and managers. Case in point, the Chicago White Sox. They're supposed to be one of the best young teams in Major League Baseball. Remember? Then they went out and hired Tony La Russa at the age of 76. DUIs be damned. Expert opinions, be damned. This was the guy for Jerry Reinsdorf and his young White Sox team. How's that going? Well, (laughs) just this year we've had a couple of highlights from Tony. And it started with, I guess, the intentional walk of Trey Turner with a 1-2 count. Two strikes on Trey Turner with a man on second. You wanted the lefty-lefty matchup with Max Muncie, which led to this. Max Muncy, opposite field bomb, gave the Dodgers a one-run lead. Right? I thought falling asleep on camera in the bottom of the first (laughs) inning. I repeat, these these pitchers are from the bottom of the first inning. And Tony Larusa is falling asleep. I thought that would be the end of the LaRusso run, but like Daniel LaRusso and Mr. Miyagi, Tony somehow survived nearly falling asleep in the first to give us this piece de resistance last night. A fan tweeted out a video showing his dad telling Tony LaRusso to pinch run Adam Engel for Eli Jimenez in a 2-2 game in the bottom of the eighth. David on Twitter gives us the latest in Tony LaRusso and the White Sox. Tony fell asleep. Honestly, he's the people's manager. The he's people not, are telling him what to do. Just love it. He's not fit to manage anymore. It's a decentralized organization. This isn't ageism. It's just him. <laughs> he is not fit. Want more proof? This is supposed to be one of the best young teams in the league. And check this out from Jay Kuda five days ago after Chicago lost three of four to the Royals. White Sox, 500 this year. First half, 500. Second half, 500. Last 100, 500. In fact, since 1978, 500. Well, at least they're consistent. You can fire the damn manager, but you might need to fire the damn owner. Bad franchises are bad franchises because of their leadership. Not always the players. And yet, they are two games back in the Central. They are. Despite having a manager. Would you have suggested that they should have won the Central and be far and gone at, at the, the start of the year? Of the year? Yeah, I think most everybody would have. Thought they were, but, but their manager falls asleep, so can't win them all. Canada beat Finland 6-3 last night at the World Juniors in Edmonton, finishing first in Group A with a 
perfect 4-0 record, outscoring opponents 27-7. Mason McTavish continued to lead the way for Canada with a goal and two assists. How impressive has McTavish been in this World Junior Tournament, Timmy? Almost as impressive as anyone has ever been for Canada in the World Junior Tournament. But it's the summer. I repeat. What do you mean? But it's the summer, so no, nobody's paying attention. Or not, I shouldn't say nobody. Not as many people are paying attention. We'll, we'll get into yeah, that. Yeah, get into that after. 13 points in four games. Yeah. Like, he, did you know that he is five points away from tying the all-time record set by Dale McCourt and Braden Shen? And he's got, I mean, it depends how far they make it in this tournament, but he's got a few games to do it. He's got 13 points in four games. Although the all-time record is Peter Forsberg in 1993, 31 points. I think that's safe. <laughs> so, I think he was 30. Uh, Mike, he, had, like, he was playing with Marcus Naslin, by the way, and they beat Japan 20-1 to 1 in that tournament. Uh, Canada won gold. Nobody had more than 10 points in that tournament. <laughs> but, yes, he is playing as well as anyone has ever played for Canada in the World Juniors. And, yes, nobody is there to see it. Like, it's, it's been ugly. And I don't know why. I mean, I guess we could... Probably list a bunch of reasons why it's been ugly, but attendance at game one against Latvia, less than 3,000. Slovakia, just over 3,000. And the last two, just over 5,000 each in Edmonton at a big league barn. Like, I get it. There's a war going on. There's no Russia or Ukraine in this tournament. Summer timing, pricing of tickets. I think the Canadian hockey scandal plays a factor. But let's be fair. Like, I guarantee you. That Hockey Canada thought a World Juniors in Alberta is an absolute layup. And they have come nowhere close to laying it up and in in this tournament. And Connor Bedard's playing, who's a the next generational talent. And the, the tank for him next year is going to be crazy. Yeah, yeah, I wonder if it's part of it is the timing of the games. Not just the summer, but the fact that a lot of these games have been scheduled in the middle of the day work-wise locally. Like 4 p.m. That's a difficult thing to swing if you're working during the day. So, so there's then a why are the ticket prices, the cheapest ticket price on Ticketmaster for the quarterfinal is more than 130 bucks? Well, that is uh, mismanagement. Non-Canada games were going for around 50 bucks in the round robin, 75 for the quarterfinal. Like here, this has happened way too many times. They've gone to the well way too many times, and I'm guessing that the organizers. The IIHF and Hockey Canada were way too confident that this was indeed a layup. And people are saying love, peace, and hair grease. Like, I'm not paying that kind of prices for something in the middle of the summer. It's just not going very well for Hockey Canada at the moment. All right, still to come, Buck Martinez, Caleb Joseph weighing in on, speaking of not going very well at the moment, the Toronto Blue Jays and what to do with Yusei Kikuchi. Mike Morreale on the CEBL's continued growth and whether it'll work in Canada after the break. After causing a bit of a stir regarding Kevin Durant's future, Mark Stein will join us with the latest drama surrounding KD. It's all next in Tim and Friends. Tuesday. And a fastball hit to left field. Just going to turn and watch it go. Ryan Mountcastle. The destroyer of Canadian worlds. It is the rumor that keeps on giving. Yes, Kevin Durant, this is what KD said on Twitter Monday. I don't plan on retiring anytime soon. One point lead for Hamilton. They need one to win it. Nobody wants to see this end at the free throw line. These guys gave their heart out and gave everything. But you don't have to give it. Manti Teo and girlfriend Lene Kakua had died the same night. 
One problem, his girlfriend did not exist. My whole world changed, and I'm questioning everything. The NBA offseason has become so dramatic, Nick Newman is rolling his eyes. That's right, a YNR reference. Deal with it. My next guest got caught in the Twitter machine yesterday alongside the name Kevin Durant and the word retirement. Fan of all sports, friend of the show, Mark Stein. And before we go any further, Mark, I must admit, I fell victim to the clickbait, too. I am no better than the rest, Mark, and I apologize for that. Oh, man, no apologies necessary. Look. (laughs) It's uh, it's on me too. I should have I should have been smarter. I should have been better, and I should have realized that uh, w- that one paragraph was going to be seized on instead of the other nineteen. Which I would humbly say I thought I had some decent stuff in yeah. there. But hey, yeah, there, there uh, was even, some even context old, there. Even us, old, even us old guys make some. Well, look, um, I wrote a I wrote a whole piece really on the state of the net. And, and really the thrust of it was, um, you know, the Nets got Durant and Irving by promising them full control. And Kevin Durant had full control for three years. And uh, the people I'm talking to are under the strong belief that that's a big driver in his determination to leave because now after three years of really having the control – the players don't have the control anymore, but if you if you have control for three years and then don't have it, I mean, or, or from the team perspective, if you grant control for three years right. and try to take it back, it's probably going to go as well as it's going right now. So um, <laughs> I started the piece with an anecdote about an executive I spoke to in Vegas who said, uh, you know, the way I'm hearing it, he'd rather retire than play for the Nets. And, uh, you know, in the very next paragraph of my story, I say, I told the executive I don't believe this, and it became a, Mark Stein is reporting he will retire. No, Mark (laughs) Stein's not reporting that. But, again, ultimately it's my fault because I should have seen that coming. I should have known that the the aggregation machine was going to seize upon that and and not the rest. And, uh, obviously, Kevin had something to say about it on Twitter. But, uh, you know. You got radio. Nobody, nobody. Nobody's worried about my travails, I promise you. Yeah, we, we often talk about getting radioed, and then I say, I'm trying not to radio you. Uh, you got radioed. But once you read the rest of the I thought, like even the first three paragraphs that you tweeted out and we just showed on the air, I thought it gave you a little bit more context. But but as it bears out now moving forward, like where do you see this going, best-case scenario for the Nets and Durant? Because they, it, it can be mutually beneficial if it's done right. Well, look, the reason I thought that was a beneficial anecdote, even though I also did call it serious hyperbole from that executive to suggest retirement, the reason it's even a thought for anyone is because this thing is not moving. Kevin right. Durant has made a trade demand. Kevin Durant has asked for the ouster of Sean Marks, the GM, of Steve Nash, the coach. The Nets are not firing Sean Marks. The Nets are not firing Steve Nash. So to make this thing move, the question becomes, is Kevin Durant prepared to not go to training camp to stage some sort of holdout to force the Nets into lowering their price? Because the Nets, by all accounts, are still asking for an exorbitant amount uh, you know, to to trade Kevin Durant, and they're not coming down off their price. So, really, I think a lot of teams around the league are trying to figure out what 
might happen, what could happen to convince the Nets to change that price? Because the Nets' initial strategy was, let's wait this thing out. Let's see if Durant changes his mind. Let's see if we can lure right. him back into the fold. I mean, he's made it clear he wants out. He is not rescinding the trade demand. And now, you know, look, I, I think, you know, also kind of circulating around the league, I think Durant deep down knew that Sean Marks and Steve Nash were not going to be fired. But beyond causing chaos to try to force the Nets to just say, you know what, let's move on. We can't deal with this anymore. That's really the only play there is if Durant is not willing to change his stance. Well, I mean, I was going to ask you if the Nets can make him honor his contract. And then I remember they also have Ben Simmons uh, in their lineup, and they could also just look down. Like, is is that where it ends up, where Ben Simmons was with the Sixers and just sitting and saying, uh, my back is bugging me and I'm not right mentally? Well, yes, there are some parallels here because, you know, last week my story on this was about how you know, Durant is one of a small handful of players who has the most aggressive advanced payment schedule in the league, and Ben Simmons had the same thing where basically – you get half your salary by October 1st. You get the first payment on July 1st. You get the second payment on October 1st. And then the, the second half of your salary is paid out over the course of the season. So one of the great ironies of this whole thing is on June 30th, Kevin Durant asked for a trade. On July 1st, the Nets had to cut him a check of nearly $11 million. And again, most NBA players don't even start getting paid until October when regular season games start. The Nets had to pay Durant this huge sum. And now when we get to October 1st, now we're in camp. So if Durant took the step of not going to camp, then the Nets will be in a position like Philly was last year. And do they start to say, let's withhold money? You know, let's not pay him his October check because he hasn't reported to camp. Again, this is all speculative because we don't know what Durant will do. Will he go to camp grudgingly? Will he stage some sort of holdout? Nobody knows that yet, but um, there are certainly parallels. Okay, so too, too many questions, too little time here. I'm just going to ask you this. You've covered the NBA for a long time. I think we've both applauded the players' empowerment in this league over time. Could Durant, though, be the tipping point where level-headed people say, this has gone too far, we can't have players demanding their way out of here, move to there all the time, especially when they're getting paid over $40 million a year. Look, I think a lot of people are saying that, and, and you know, Harden forced his way out of two situations. You know, the Ben Simmons situation, to me, that is slightly different in the aspect of the Sixers tried to trade Ben Simmons yeah. one month into his extension. Daryl Morey just got to Philly and would have happily traded Simmons to Houston if he could have gotten Harden the first time around. So I don't, you know, Simmons didn't ask for a trade until they tried to trade him first. But yes, Kevin Durant, four years, $194 million, has not played a single game under that deal. But realistically, what can really change? I mean, you know, will there be a games played clause in the next CBA where players have to play a certain number of games to get their full salary. I do see that as a possibility. I think there is also some support throughout the league for can there be a minimum established if a player signs a four-year max deal? Can we say no trades until year two or year three? Is there a minimum year commitment that the player has to meet 
but to get the max. But by the same token, the team. Let's not forget the Clippers signed Blake Griffin to a max and traded him six months after saying you're going to be a Clipper for life. So it's not all on the players. It's it's both sides here. No, and I agree with you on that. Listen, I I would love to get uh, whether or not the Raptors are still sniffing around. I know you're going to the U.S. Open. Enjoy that. Serena, that should be fun. Uh, Even the Donovan Mitchell Knicks rumor, but unfortunately we are out of time. Uh, I always love talking sports with you, Mark. Thanks for doing this. All right, man. Let's do it again soon. All right. There is uh, Mark Stein. NBA correspondent here on Tim and Friends with Sportsnet. And you can follow him on Twitter and get more. You can follow him on Substack. Yeah. Hope he doesn't get radio from that. No, he said it. He didn't say it. <laughs> Wouldn't mind him getting radio. <laughs> on the show, yeah. yeah. That would help, yeah. <laughs> Time for a break. When we come back, Caleb Joseph joins us with his thoughts on Yusei Kikuchi, plus his former team, the Orioles, surging in this playoff chase. That's next. Tim and Friends. The Blue Jays welcome the Baltimore Orioles in town for the first of a three-game series. Ryan Mountcastle does it yet again. Ryan Mountcastle, the destroyer of Canadian worlds. Play on its second, and it's off the glove of Merrifield and into left center. And that'll go as an error on Kikuchi. Coming home, the tag not in time. Bang, bang, play at the plate. The Orioles score another run. And it's been a tough night for Kikuchi. So the Orioles beat the Blue Jays again. And the Blue Jays are going to have to turn things around in a hurry. Yes, there they are, Buck. Another rough outing for Yusei Kikuchi. Another loss for the Jays. They fall into the third wildcard spot in a packed American League East. Or at least in a packed American League. How did this happen? Playoff race. They'll turn to Alec Manoa tonight. Try to turn things around against the pesky Orioles. Blue Jays Central comes your way. 6.30 Eastern, 3.30 Pacific, right here on Sportsnet. So after winning 8 of 10 post-All-Star break, the Jays are now 3-8 and eight over their last 11, and the electric is starting to turn again here to help make sense of it all. As friend of the show, and officially a friend since we actually met in person, oh. finally, Caleb Joseph. We Welcome back to the show, buddy. How are you? Yes. Thanks for having me. <laughs> uh, anytime, anytime. Listen, I got to start with this Kikuchi conversation. And you've been behind the plate when dudes have struggled before. If you were in Jay's management, what would you do with Kikuchi at this point? Oh, that's the million dollar question, right? Um, put him in the bullpen, keep him in the rotation 50 50, have another neck strain, uh, go on the IL. There is a lot to try and figure out. And the problem with kind of putting him in the bullpen or putting him back on the IL is he's due two more years and a lot of money. Yeah. So in my previous experiences, what I've seen is is teams will just hang in there and they'll keep trying. The problem is they're they're losing ground on that wild card race and they had a little bit of separation and now that separation is gone. So there's only what 45, 50 games left in the season, and every single one is starting to really pack a little bit more pressure after the other one. And can you afford to continue to throw Yusei Kikuchi out there and give you two, three innings and five, six runs? I'm not 100 percent sure, but if you put him in the bullpen, when is he going to pitch? Uh, that's a, that's the biggest question I have. Is, is there a blowout game that he pitches in, possibly? But that's just a minus one arm that you really need down there in a bullpen that is they're doing good but as constructed they look pretty fine I I don't really love jumbling that up so 
honestly, there's just so much about him that kind of worries me a little bit that I, I'd love to see him find something in the arm or something to kind of take another reset. But again, that's highly suspect. I just, there's so much going on that it needs a lot of off season attention in terms of right. he's got to figure this, that, and the other out and in game adjustments in the big leagues are very, very difficult. So I get fans because it's not their money. And, and <laughs> I've heard a former uh, host on this station say, listen, it's not my money. Uh, I don't care. But three years and $36 million has to play into whatever the Jays' front office does here because, like you said, no matter what happens this year, he's coming back next year and they're going to try and make this right because there is enough vision of something here, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, you see, you see the 97, and goodness, I, I came across a stat uh, five, six days ago that Kikuchi was in the top ten in the big leagues in – fastball with percentage names with Garrett Cole, these elite of elite guys that throw fastballs that get whiff. So you're thinking, wow, this, that's the same guy that is thrown to about a six ERA for the Toronto Blue Jays. Yes, it is. And the money factor is a massive deal. There's no way that Ross Atkins and company are going to swallow this contract, not even one year into it yet. How do you keep working it out when you're in the middle of a pennant race? And that's why tryouts in the middle of a pennant race are really difficult. And yeah, it's not their money, but there's a commitment there that they have to, they have to fulfill. Otherwise they're going to swallow a ton of money and then get massive backlash for it on the back end. I would, I would just love to see him go out there and try to throw to the inner lane to right handers. I don't think he throws enough fastballs in, to right-handers to really give himself some sort of separation with that slider. I've been on the split bandwagon for seems like five months now. Mm-hmm. Throw more splits than sliders. The slider shape is going to be more consistent. That's what I saw last start, just a lot of inconsistencies in the slider shape. And just able to throw more quality strikes. He has a hard time getting that ball down and away to a right-hander, which is the arm side. And I've never seen a pitcher so many times throw – up and away to a righty. The miss is up and away, and it's just constant. And they've got to find a way to get him onto the glove side and glove side consistently because that'll set him up for all of his other pitches. Earlier in the show, uh, Jesse and I were talking about accountability, and we were talking about the accountability of trotting Yusei Kikuchi out there repeatedly, uh, the accountability, I guess, that we're seeing now in Bo Bichette as he slides down the lineup to seven. And for much of the season, I've asked people with with experience around a clubhouse or in and around a clubhouse, if the Jays needed a savvy vet to, to help them be pros, like to understand what it's like to go from a good young team to a team with expectations, is, is that why Jackie Bradley Jr. was brought into Toronto, do you think? Well, it sure makes sense, right? I mean, he's not really providing much with the bat. He does bring really elite defense in center field, you can put him pretty much anywhere in the outfield. He's going to play elite defense, but he's been there and done that. He's been around a lot of winning teams, and he's won a lot of really important games. And, yes, I I know some people discredit it. They don't, they don't understand it or believe in it, but I truly believe that that type of presence is super important, and it matters. Uh, look, at, look at the Orioles. Look at Robinson Chirinos. Wait, who? Yes, the backup catcher, Robinson Chirinos, a 10-, 12-year major league veteran that comes in to Baltimore on a team that is floundering with their pitching staff. He comes in and stabilizes that staff because of his 
experience and his presence, and he holds guys accountable. And there have been numerous articles about what he's meant inside that clubhouse, even though he's not hitting his weight on offense. But that stuff matters. And you look at the Jays, and there are guys that have service time. But there's a unique personality that can get in there and really fire the guys up, but yet keep it loose at the same time. And I truly believe that that is a massive part. And it takes a really special person to be able to approach a Vladimir Guerrero, to approach a Bo Bichette, and have tough conversations, yet be the first person to cheer them up when they're doing well. It can't always be on the manager. But I will say, I really do believe that John Schneider has come in and really started to hold this team accountable. He's not afraid to kind of mix things up. And he saw what happened when you kind of sit on your hands from that managerial position and nothing really happens. He's been able to shake things up. And I think these little subtle lineup changes are a little kick in the pants and a little fire in the tush for some of the guys. Yeah, understood. Uh, you know this organization well in, in Baltimore. Uh, did you expect this after another selling deadline? Like, they're 9-4 and four in August. They're 14-9 and nine since the All-Star break. I mean, they're right in the thick of it. Yeah, I wouldn't say this close. I, I really predicted – actually, I said it with Ben Wagner on a game about, I don't know, six, eight weeks ago that I thought they were going to really be spoilers. Uh, the back end of their bullpen has been really nice in terms of – the waiver claims they've made, they've got really high-velocity guys, even losing Lopez to the Twins and Mancini to the Astros. They've been able to promote a bunch of guys that are really trying to find a spot. And those type of teams are dangerous. The, the type of teams that – the why-not kids, the type of teams that have players that are really trying to make a name for themselves and they're really trying to get fired up and, and hold a spot. Um, I, I really didn't see them coming on like this, especially after they sell those two players I just mentioned. But – they're, 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 they have owned the Blue Jays so far, and especially that guy right there, um, Mountcastle. He's absolutely owned them. This is old school, but and I know the guy. I, I know the guy really well, but first pitch tonight from Mano would be about 97 up under the chin. I'd, I'd have enough of that. But, again, they've got to figure out how to get him out, but also they've got, to, they've got a lot of things to figure out. The good thing is they're still in playoff contention. The bad thing is that window is starting to close in terms of the teams around them and games to be played. Yeah, those numbers are absolutely ridiculous. Before I let you go, catcher to catcher, what do you think of this Adley Rutschman kid? I think he's good. I really like the way he moves back there. I, I think he's the real deal in terms of his leadership abilities. He looks good from both sides of the plate. He's drawing a lot of walks. He hits a ton of doubles. Um, I don't know what it is about the Orioles drafting switch hitting catchers, but it, it seems to be a thing. Matt Wieters was kind of one of those highly touted prospects. Rutschman, he looks like the real deal. And then moving him up, Two hole, I think, uh, around there is 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 about right. He he does a lot of things right. I think the biggest thing for me is he's been able to continue to control that staff in the uh, not absence of Torinos, but in taking over for Torinos, right. continue to carry that baton. I think he's done a great job, but. Hey, we got pretty good catchers in Toronto ourselves. Yeah, not bad. Uh, hey, listen, we, we got a pretty good uh, group of catchers on this show today. Uh, Caleb Joseph, Buck Martinez a little later on. Thank you for doing this, buddy. Yeah, you got it. Take it easy, guys. Uh, there is Caleb Joseph from his home in Tennessee. What's with former catchers becoming analysts in this business? Well, they see it all. They're Makes just sense. they're in a perfect spot to right. absorb the game. And they have to be the smartest guy in the field. Yeah, right? that's why. Yeah, there he is. Just heard it. More Jays talk on the way as we head to the park next. As mentioned, another catcher joining the fray. Buck Martinez will give us his thoughts on Kikuchi. Bichette slid down to the seven hole, the ace, Alec Manoa, and more as the Jays try and get back on track against the Orioles later tonight on Sports Night. Hey, 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 hey. 
time for Real Sports Talk with Tim McAuliffe and friends of the show. Thank you, Sheepdogs, back here. Hour number two, Tim and Friends, full hour on Sportsnet 360, which includes CEBL Commissioner Mike Morreale. Just a half an hour to go on Sportsnet, which includes Buck Martinez. From the ballpark as the Jays try and right the ship against the Orioles, including a lineup shuffle that we'll get to you in just a flash. But here is your news of the day. Hockey first and following the regular season, Jets' Mark Scheifele made some headlines, especially in Winnipeg, suggesting that his future in the peg may be in doubt. The star forward explained he wanted to know the direction the team was headed today. Maybe some damage control. Scheifele said that he's happy with how the offseason has played out. Yeah, I had a I had a really good talk with with Chevy at the end of the year, and you know I'm gonna I'm gonna keep the you know that that between me and him. You know that's uh, you know that's obviously confidential between me and him, and I, I, I respect him too much to talk about that in the media. But um, you know we had a good talk, and um, you know I know a lot of the guys were, were honest in their in their year end meetings, and obviously last year wasn't uh, wasn't the season that we wanted to have, and. A lot of guys were frustrated. A lot of guys were angry, and and I think that showed um, towards the end of the year. But um, you know, the team's made a lot of changes. I'm really, really, really excited and 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 interested in in the changes that'll happen. And um, you know, like I said before, I'm really excited to to get back at it. Nice. You know, the NHL is coming back when we get golf tournament sound, Jesse. NHL players at golf tournaments. Back to the Jays, and they uh, host the Orioles game two of a three game set. It's a half game up. On them in the wild card, excuse me, game and a half up on them in the wild card race. Tie with the Rays, a half game behind the Mariners. Got it good and since you understood. A little stressful down at the Dome. Alec Manoa gets the ball tonight against Dean Kramer for the Orioles. Blue Jays Central gets you set 6.30 Eastern, 3.30 Pacific. So a shuffle, as mentioned, in the Jays lineup today. Bo Bichette moved down to the seven hole, the lowest he's ever batted in the majors on base percentage since at just 3.01 this season. In his recent struggles... See him drop down the order for John Schneider. George Springer will lead off, but he remains at DH, nursing that elbow injury. Alejandro Kirk will clean up and catch Manoa. Matt Chapman up to fifth. Teoscar, six hole. And Jackie Bradley Jr. plays center field and bats ninth. Here's Schneider on Bichette. I think more than anything, it's trying to just shake things up with our offense. He's a huge part of our offense. Um, not don't know if it's going to be a permanent thing, see how it goes today. I think it can help him by maybe taking a little bit of pressure off of himself. And, um, you know, we like the at-bats that, you know, Chappie and Gurriel are having, and it gives them a chance too. But, you know, he's obviously, he's a huge part of our team um, and kind of just shaking it up tonight. The best thing about Bo is he's going to go out and compete to win every single night, no matter what the situation is. Um, I'd be lying if I said he wasn't disappointed a little bit. Um but, as a, yeah, as a competitor, I think that's just kind of who he is. And, you know, we'll see how it goes tonight. Uh, I don't say this uh, lightheartedly, but it's an honor to have my next guest. I know he's already been on the show since uh, his return to the booth, but I wasn't here and I haven't seen him in person. So, Mr. Martinez, I can't tell you how good it is to have you back in the booth and selfishly back on this show talking baseball. Thanks for doing this. Thank you very much, Tim. It's good to be with you. Uh, yeah, it's been great. Uh, everybody's uh, been great in my return, and I'm happy to be back doing what I love to do. Listen, I, I remember doing this show from my closet at home with Sid Sixero <laughs> in his kitchen when we knew nothing of the beast that we were fighting in this pandemic thing. But I had no idea why we were doing the show, a sports show with no sports. But 
I, I, I'm going to tell a story to the audience here, and I hope you'll bear with me. But we had you on just to help us out because we were dying with no sports. And, Buck, we talked about winter ball in Puerto Rico and Roberto Clemente. <laughs> and I realized that this stuff can transport folks. It, it can make people smile even in the toughest times. And, and I know you probably don't even remember any of this, but it helped set the tone for me. It helped set the tone for how this show would go. And I know just hearing your voice on these games does the exact same thing for folks at home. It transports them. It makes them feel like home again. And I don't believe in leaving anything unsaid. So from me, from Jay's <laughs> fans, thank you, sir. I really appreciate it. Well, that means a lot, Tim. Thank you very much. Anytime. All right, so let's talk a little baseball here. And I hate doing this mid-August. But it feels like a really important game for the Chase tonight, does it not? <laughs> <laughs> it is a really important game. And, uh, you know, John Snyder referred to the feeling now as urgent. And there is some urgency. 48 games left in the season, and they've, they've lost the grip on that top wild card spot right now. So, you know, the players have to sense urgency. And, you know, as a coach and a manager, you try to emphasize games in April are very important. But right now the players are starting to feel, hey, we don't have a lot of games to make up. We've got to start turning things around right now. And the Guardians outplayed them over the weekend last night. The Orioles outplayed them. The Blue Jays are very talented. The other two teams I just mentioned don't have the talent the Blue Jays have. But right now, they're being outplayed by those other teams. And the Blue Jays got to turn it around. And I think this lineup shuffle is a little bit of a message. So talk to me about that lineup shuffle. And, and, and we were talking about accountability earlier in the show. Do you think that's what this is? Um, I, it's not all about Bo. I mean, oh, Bo's making a dramatic drop in yeah. the lineup. Uh, he's only had 41 at-bats lower than the fourth spot in the lineup in his career. But uh, it's about how you get these nine guys together to win a ball game. And you know what? That's what professional baseball is all about. It doesn't make any difference what you hit, what your average is, how many you drive in. It's about winning games. And the goal for any ball club is to get to the postseason and win the World Series eventually. And I think that's what John Snyder's trying to do is say, hey, we're not playing very well right now. And I'm going to change things up because I'm not going to bang my head against the wall and send that same lineup out there every single night when we're not scoring any runs. So nobody in the lineup can complain about this because nobody is red hot right now. Even Vladdy, he had that long hit streak, but he wasn't typical Vladdy like we saw last year. So I think this is a good message to the players. Things aren't going well right now. And to a man, we're being outplayed by the opposition. It's funny, as, as you talk about that, I started thinking about this lineup, how it's changed over the last year, because, I mean, they put up some massive runs. I can't just say it's Marcus Simeon out, but is there maybe some veteran leadership that's been lost in the loss of, of Ray and Marcus Simeon? We all talked about how much of a pro he was in that clubhouse last year. Is that some of it and yeah. maybe why Jackie Bradley Jr. is there? Yeah. Well, I, I think Kevin Gosman fills the void right. that uh, Robbie Ray left, and I think Matt Chapman fills that void of Marcus Simeon. Remember, they were teammates in Oakland, so they have a very similar personality, and I think Matt, especially in the second half of the season, has stepped up a little bit. It's hard to come into a new team and take over a leadership role. You have to earn it, and he has done that now. They watch him work. They watch him in spring training. They understand how dedicated he is to winning, and I think now he is truly one of the leaders on this team. But yeah, I don't think it's a leadership issue. I, I think it's an experience issue. Right. And I talked to George Springer about this, about winning 
late. He said, you can't change anything. You are who you are. And you just have to be the best version of yourself. And now, to a man, they have to think about, what can I do tonight to help the Blue Jays beat the Orioles? And I think that's what John Snyder's trying to do with this lineup. Okay, so I know there's a lot of Kikuchi talk right now, and we did a lot of it with Caleb Joseph in the last segment. Uh, might do a little bit more, but Alec Manoa tonight. And it feels like ace time, doesn't it, Buck? <laughs> Well, he certainly has the personality to be a stopper, and you need a stopper, and the Blue Jays thought they had a couple of different stoppers, but right now the reality is starting pitching hasn't been real good. And if you take Kevin Gosman's last previous two starts prior to the last time out, he threw 14 shutout innings, so the ERA would be even worse if he took those out. But Alec Manoa has the personality to take the ball and say, you know what, fellas, I'm going to guarantee a win tonight. I'm going to step on a mound, and I'll take care of everything. I'm going to put up some zeros, and you guys score a few runs, and I'm going to pitch well enough to win. And that's what you need. You need a W tonight, and Alec Manoa, in my mind, is the right guy to go to the mound. Some folks have talked about warning signs with Manoa, who's never done this before, to be fair. Have you seen any of those warning signs? No, I have not. And we've asked the ball club several different times, uh, are there restrictions? Are there limits? Is there a ceiling on Manoa's innings or workload? And they say no. And my goodness, look at him. He's 6'6 and weighs 260. He's a horse. (laughs) And if he can't pitch down to 200 innings, nobody can. And he's got a very good delivery. He works very hard in between starts. He recovers very well. And he's got great stuff. He was built to be a long-term major league pitcher, and I, I, I don't think there are restrictions on him. I have not seen his arm drop. I have not seen any fatigue. I see the same quality stuff. More than anything, I look at location and movement. Mm-hmm. If he can locate his pitches with the same movement, that tells me that he's still fresh and still strong enough to get to the finish line. All right, so uh, I mentioned Kikuchi, and it seems to be the hot topic of the day. Do you think we see another start in the rotation for Kikuchi? I would kind of be surprised if we do. I I think they're going to have to try to figure out something because he is uh, pitching right now to a point where, you know, as good as he got off to a start, yeah, I give up a run in the first inning, but that was a bloop double down the right field line. Then he had a pretty good second inning, retired to side in order, but then the wheels came off. I think the one thing that a manager wants is consistency. If you're going to be a five ERA guy, be a five ERA guy for six innings. If you're going to be a three ERA guy, give me seven innings of three ERA and I'll take it every day of the week. But I think the inconsistency that we have seen from Kikuchi is a little bit of a concern. And, you know, you don't have time to make things up right now. And you certainly don't have time. You know, he needs to work things out. There's no question about his arsenal of pitches. He's got very, very good major league stuff. But it's about the mix. It's about the location. It's about the confidence. And I think that's more than anything. It looks as though that he gets a little tentative. When things start to go south, he doesn't know how to stop it. Does that mean Mitch White to you with Ross Stripling making the start tomorrow? Yeah, I, I think uh, Stripling's going to start tomorrow. I wouldn't be surprised if we see Mitch White again probably on Saturday and then Manoa on Sunday. Manoa's always pitched well against the Yankees. I don't have any inside information, but that's what I think. And I think uh, 50 years of experience, I can take a guess. <laughs> You're allowed to take a guess every <laughs> once in a while, without a doubt. This Jays team is just 2-5 and five against Baltimore this season, and what, I guess they got 12 more to go here. How, how different is this Orioles team from the one that they faced last year? Well, it's dramatically different. Uh, They've already surpassed their win total from a year ago, and I think the biggest thing is they're pitching. They're throwing strikes. They have a very good shortstop in Jorge Mateo. That anchors the defense, Cedric Mullins in center field. And just look at their record from May 21st on. 
they have a better record in the AL East than the New York Yankees because they called up Adley Rutschman behind the plate. Mm -hmm. Rutschman's done a terrific job, and, you know, catching is so important and obviously dear to my heart, but he's got such great leadership skills. If you watch him during the course of a game, he'll go to the mound without any cue, without anybody on the bench saying, hey, go to the mound. He'll go out there. He's got a feel for handling a pitching staff and, you know, being a switch-hitting catcher hitting two in the lineup. Yeah. But uh, check out their record since May 21st when they brought him up and he made his major league debut. They are really good since he's been behind the plate. Hey, do the Jays need to throw out the Ryan Mountcastle scouting report? <laughs> like, <laughs> what is going you know what? On if there? I was catching tonight, I'd tell him what's coming. Uh, yeah. 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 He might yeah, he might not trust you, but hey, we're going to throw you a fastball right now. <laughs> but maybe it makes him pause a little bit, Tim. <laughs> yeah. Just throw a little bit of doubt into his mind because it seems like there is no doubt when he steps to the plate against the Jays. Uh, last one for you, and it revolves around George Springer. Uh, nice to see him obviously back in the lineup. The Jays, when he starts, are a remarkably better team record-wise, but it's obvious he's not at 100%. Like, where is this George Springer um, rank in terms of, I mean, obviously he's hugely important to this team, but at, at this level, can he make a difference? Yes, he can make a difference. His presence in the lineup makes a difference. His uh, experience makes a difference. His postseason experience makes a difference. I, I think, you know, George admits he's got a lot of things going on in that elbow, and they're going to try to manage it as much as possible. And now it's just kind of a pain management thing. Can he handle the pain if it flares up again? And I think they're going to be very cautious with him, try to get as much out of him in the DH spot before they push him into center field. But, right. you know, it's good to have him back. Uh, he changes a pitcher's mindset. When you look at Springer at the top of the order, because he can swing, change a game in the first at bat. And I think it's great to have him back. But he's obviously not 100%. We all know that. And, and the DH spot costs them, especially when Danny Jansen is, is catching, right? Yeah, but you know what? That's just the way it goes. Uh, you want George Springer in the lineup or, or you want Danny Jansen or Andrew Kirk? You know, one of those guys is going to catch and the other guy is going to be out of the lineup when Springer's DH. And so that's uh, that's the price you have to pay to get your former MVP of the World Series back in that lineup. And that's what you want in George Springer. Uh, big game tonight, as big as they come on uh, August the 16th. And I had to look at my computer <laughs> because I forgot what day it was. Buck, I appreciate you doing this. Great to be with you, Tim. You have a good night. And, yes, it is a big game. It is a big game. There is Buck Martinez down at the Rogers Center, which feels like home to me as we count under 44 minutes to the Jays and the Orioles and less than 15 minutes away from Blue Jays Central. He's very positive. That made me feel a little bit better about the Jays. Yeah, but he, if, if, you, if you listen closely, mm. he's not afraid. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. I see what you're saying. Yeah. There's, he, he knows how to frame it to make us all feel good, but he also says a lot. That's why he's a pro. Been That's around right. forever. That's why he's a pro. We'll get to some of your Jays feedback. We've got a lot before we hand it off to Blue Jays Central. Jamie and Joe coming up. Tim and Jesse return after this short commercial interlude on Sportsnet and Sportsnet Jays and Orioles coming up on Sportsnet. I'm Tim McAuliffe. Jesse Rubinoff sits over there after winning 8 of 10 post-All-Star break. The Jays have kind of hit the skids here. 3-8 and eight in their last 11 games, and that has opened the door to folks wanting us to hit the panic button again, Jesse. And to be fair to the Toronto Blue Jays, there has been twice this year where people have wanted us to hit the panic button, and they have responded 
with a winning streak. We'll see if that starts tonight, less than 40 minutes from now on Sportsnet. I don't think the viewers are listening to that, though, right now. No, but uh, 27%, I believe, is what it was. Of people thought that the panic button needed to be pushed on Yusei Kikuchi in a poll that we did a couple days ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, given last night's outing, another poor one by Kikuchi, obviously, we asked, what should the Blue Jays do with Yusei Kikuchi? And a couple of really good responses coming in. Uh, Greg says, I have a take, and remember, I'm a nice guy. He needs to be shut down completely. Fastball yips. Perhaps, but if his issues can't be sorted out in Florida, Jay's going to have to eat that contract. Majors aren't a place to fix things. And I think Caleb Joseph echoed that exact sentiment earlier. I, I don't in the know show. if the Majors is maybe a little too far for me to accept pennant races and or playoff right. races aren't a place to fix. I will accept. Because obviously, when you're throwing as well as UK, you say Kikuchi can throw for one inning. There's something there. The Jays need to be able to uncover that because if that's their fifth starter, they're better than anybody else. Yeah. But I hear what you're saying. It is an important point because yeah. if they're the Orioles from last year and they have 50 wins the whole year, who cares if you roll out? You see yeah. Kikuchi in the majors. Fix as much as you want. You're, you're not going to win anyway. Correct. Uh, Sanish says, uh, got to figure out who would replace him first before moving him to the pen. Would anyone on the current roster or down in Buffalo do any better? Talk about no, this. but I think the current roster would be Mitch White. Uh, I meant no to Buffalo, uh, and Mitch White is probably a yes right now, but we still don't really know a lot about Mitch White. We know he started 10 games for the Dodgers. I mean, that's a pedigree. And he started two games for the Jays and gave him four and two-thirds. We weren't going to let him go three times through the lineup, but if think four and two-thirds and you give up two to three runs, that's better than what you say Kikuchi's been Right. Doing. Well, they're not give, they're, Kikuchi can't get to the lineup a third time, not because they don't want him to. It's because he... Literally can't. Just get right. beat up. And that's the end of it. Uh, Jared says, never should have signed him to a three-year deal in the first place. He's always <laughs> lacked control, and having to pitch in the AL East is no small feat for someone who falls behind yeah, that's all a fair the point. time. I'll listen to that, Jared. Uh, Matt says, outright release. Cut your losses. Employ an opener for a spot in the rotation. Try and meander to the offseason. <laughs> Use Bichette, Jansen, Kirk as assets to get better starting pitching, relief pitching in the offseason. Wow. So that, that's, yeah. Matt's just opening up a whole can of worms there. Do you want me to, to react to any of that? That is, that is like if you think the bull, If you think the bullpen is taxed right now or not deep enough right now, wait till you start employing openers. Like, openers are for teams that have real good bullpens. That's not the Toronto Blue Jays. Not even close. Brian Leach says they have much bigger problems than their fifth starter. Oof. Let me, hold on. That's a save by the guy. That right there is cutting to the core of things. That right there is talking about a record that is 30 and 41 against teams at 500 or above. Like, what we're talking about here is something completely different. The next tweet goes hand in hand because Cheryl says, regardless of what they should do with Kikuchi, last night they had a chance for the win. His teammates let him down with poor defense and lack of hitting in timely situations. So that's some of what I'm sure Brian Leach is referring to. The whole team's not getting it done right now. It's not Yusei Kikuchi. Like if they had won five of six or whatever, if the script was flipped completely, we would be on Yusei Kikuchi, but not the rest of the team. And I think the rest of the team's right. getting a bit of a free pass here, right. based specifically on last night's and outing. specifically with the offense. I yeah. mean, four runs in the three-game series against Cleveland. They lucky to get one win out of that, and then having opportunities like they had last night against a, a, a starter with an ERA above so six. Right? Yeah. Like yeah. that's. 
to get what they got off of Ryan Braddock, I thought they were going to do more. He looked really good in that game. Maybe. This offense hasn't been up to snuff all year long, especially considering what we thought they would be. Making the Orioles pitching staff look like the Yankees pitching staff. Uh, this next one opens up a little bit of a can of worms, but Joe says, is there something to be said of the pitching coach when we inherited so many good pitchers and when joining our beloved Blue Jays, they slowly become subpar performers? That is such a prisoner of the moment from a Joe numbers account. Joe A. Joe A. A numbers account. account. Yeah. Like he was the savior a year ago. And Gossman's been good. It's not like he's been brutal. Yeah, either. but the whole Ricky Ray, let Pete Walker toy with people and you'll turn him into ace. Like, come on, man. We can't flip the script that quick, can we? People are expecting miracles from, from Pete Walker. That's what it is. Because of the Ricky Ray. And no, this guy's saying it's done. Ricky Ray. Unbelievable. Look what did, you've done to me. Did we both do Ricky Yeah, Ray? we just both did it. We both did Ricky yeah. Ray? My bad, Robbie Ray. <laughs> uh, Mark says, this is another I still like Ricky words. Ray, the quarterback, though. Yeah, of course. Uh, yeah. For once, I'd like to see Vladdy get serious. Don't celebrate with gestures when down by five runs. Run the bases without a peep and go sit down. All the gestures are stale, especially the shh finger. Pitchers are choked. Um... I don't, the know last the last, I don't know what that means. I didn't want it <laughs> okay. to ruin the rest of the tweet. So. All right. So you, you should have read it. Shouldn't have no, read it. No, no, no. The rest of the, the pitchers are choked, whatever. We don't understand what that means. But you get what the rest Someone of the tweet Someone write says. it and tell me what the pitchers are choked means. That's irrelevant to the rest of the tweet. Do you think it's a problem that Vladdy's still celebrating when they're down by five runs and doing the shh? No. Shh. No. Not, no, not what's over. No, I, that, like, you will, I don't care how many people write in this thing They'll about them having fun. I don't care how many people think the home run jacket should go away. Uh, having fun in a 162 games season is absolutely positively a necessity. In fact, oftentimes when I'm watching amateur baseball, I think if they just had more fun, they would be more relaxed. When you're more relaxed, you perform better. That to me is the biggest joke, tweet, and or comment that I get repeatedly all the time. All the time. Across Jay's Twitter. Uh, no, across all of sports. Like, people think that if you take it as seriously as they take it, that somehow the team will be better, not realizing that any person in any walk of life completely and, and like almost scientifically proven does better when they're relaxed. Yeah, you're right. But at the same time, and this next tweet can back it up, like, I do think... They can meet in the middle somewhere. No, but how do you, like, do you think that dancing means they're not taking it seriously? But there, there are times that's when they're not. Ridiculous. No, but they're not jogging out certain okay, that, balls. Okay, that's a different story. That's something, that those are two different topics. But it implies that they're not taking it as seriously as they should. Does it not? The dancing? Well, the dancing combined with no, not, no, jog, no, not running it out hard. What I'm telling you is those are two completely different things. If they're not running it out hard, say they're not running it out hard, and I'll listen to it. But the dancing and the shh, that's ridiculous. You perform better when you're relaxed. Everyone does. We do. At the end of the day, the pitchers are choked. And I'm no longer relaxed. All right, time to send it to Blue Jays. Do you know what it means yet if you're laughing? <laughs> it was laughing? a boomer moment for us, yes. Yeah, I did. I know what it means. It just means they're upset. It makes them mad. Did someone tell you that? Yeah, yeah. I got the Urban Dictionary from the producers. I got the definition. We're boomers. It choked. (laughs) Jamie and Joe standing by at the Rogers Center. We'll continue with Mike Morreale at Sports (laughs) Step 360. Hamilton, one point away. Could have himself a CBL championship. But is it too little, too 
this end at the free throw line. You don't end games like that. These guys gave their heart out and gave everything. But you don't end a game like that. A 17-0 run made it a game in Elam ending time, but man, was that a final for the CEBL. If you've watched me or the show for any period of time, you know that I believe that domestic sports leagues are remarkably important, not only to sporting fabric in this country, but to the results for our national teams on the world stage, and that is... Canada, because of our proximity to the United States of America, have not only dropped the ball, but we've never really picked it up. Look across the world. There are pro sports leagues everywhere, even though fans in, what, 95% of those countries know that there is a better league somewhere else. But as is the case with the CFL, many Canadians thumb their nose at the idea of watching something less than the best. In the last couple of years, a couple of leagues have attempted to walk the road less traveled, including the CEBL, a professional basketball league that just concluded its fourth season to pretty rave reviews, setting records for league-wide attendance, the highest average attendance. Their live stream grew by over 130% and saw seven of those games, including, as you saw, a crazy championship final on national TV with CBC. The questions I have for Canadians are, will you support it knowing It's not the best league in the world. Here to discuss that and more is the commissioner of the league, Mike Morreale. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for doing this, Mikey. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Great to be here. Uh, Since you told me about this league years ago and our shared past of trying to get people to CFL games or CIS U Sports games, I wondered if you'd be able to get Canadian fans to buy in. Do you feel you're any closer to an answer on that, Mikey? Absolutely. I I think, you know, it's really because we know who we are. We are not the NBA, but we are the best basketball player in this country outside the NBA. And our desire is to be a top five FIBA league in the world. And and you look around, we're very heavily influenced by the NBA. You talked about it off the top. That's that's tremendous. It's great. We applaud all of our players that are having such success. But to win championships and gold medals and world championships and Olympic medals, you need to play FIBA basketball. We don't play enough FIBA basketball in this country. And the game that we play is FIBA, and we play it at an incredible high level. And I'm really proud of the talent that we put on the court, but also what we do off the court as well. Full disclosure, I went to a Scarborough Shooting Stars game with my 12-year-old sports-loving son, and he was begging me to go back, Mike. Is, is that the key, just to get people into the building to see what you're talking about, to see how good the league actually is? It, it, absolutely. I, I haven't seen or heard from anybody that's went to a game and said, ah, I don't want to come back. Uh, you know, it's, it wasn't worth the money. It wasn't highly entertaining. I, I hear the opposite all the time. We see the growth uh, in our attendance year over year. We see all the metrics in fan engagement, website traffic, you know, subscriptions to our OTT platform, you know, not just domestically, but internationally. Uh, I, I will say that we are probably more uh, respected internationally from a basketball perspective than we are right at home. But that's changing and I can feel it changing. And, you know, the 10 teams across the country, we're in more markets, more eyeballs, more awareness. And the, the product is good. It's real good. And uh, we're really proud of it, where we're going. I can't believe we're going into year five, but we're going there with lots of momentum. So Scarborough seems like a success story. Montreal seems like a success story. Uh, how do you grow this? 
you continue to do what we do. And and that's, you know, I think we've become a big market league. And you have to look at the success we've had in Edmonton and in Ottawa and in Montreal and Fraser Valley, which is pretty much Vancouver, uh, and, and what has happened in Scarborough, both on and off the court. So, you know, for me, I look at the Montreal markets, hasn't had basketball, was really, you know, dying to have that market filled with pro basketball and local basketball. And we were at 90% capacity and they only won four games. So I, I know where this is going. I can feel it. I can sense it. I, you know, I, it's my job to grow the league and grow it in a smart, effective way. And I'm the one that fields the calls from investors and new potential owners and, and media, et cetera. You know, there's some fundamental things we're going to do, right? We need to get on a sports station. We need to capture the awareness of the Canadians. We need to be on the ticker and on the highlight packs. We deserve to be there. Uh, the talent is good. It's highly competitive, and it's predominantly Canadian. And it's something that we should be very, very proud of. I want to get into the Canadian part of it, but did you ever think, I mean, as you're growing this thing, and, and I see the tweet in front of me right now, did you ever think that you would be in a Drake video with one of your franchises? I mean, it's just been some mind-blowing uh, things this year, that's for sure, over the years. You know, I, I get sitting back six years ago, I said, man, maybe one day Drake will pull up to a game. I had no idea how. It was just a pipe dream at the time. And and you have those things. And, and, and the reason I said it is because, of his love of basketball and his connection to the music and art and culture and everything that is basketball. And we fast forward, you know, four or five years later, and here we are. And uh, he's sitting courtside or he's wearing the jersey on a video or he's watching the game at home. And it's not just not just Drake. It's the, you know, the Chris Boucher's in, in Montreal, and the Lou Dortz and, and the Jamal Murray's and the O'Shea Brissett's and the Dylan Brooks. And it goes on and on that show up to our games and right. show up organically. Um, it, that, to me, tells it all. It's funny because Canadians will talk about the guys that you just mentioned. And if you ask them about the quality of basketball in this league, they'll talk glowingly about it. Like, where's the disconnect? And, and I'm asking you as a former CFL player because I feel like I have the exact same conversations about the CFL. Like, ask anyone in the NFL who knows dudes or has played in the CFL. They'll tell you it's amazing. Same thing about this basketball. Why do we have this disconnect? Well, you know, for us, I think it's because we're new. You know, we're not a 109-year-old league that's that's still trying to gain that. We're, we're a young league that just came off two years of COVID. I, I, I don't think there's a disconnect in me. I think there's just we need to connect more right. uh, with more people through more networks, through, through more channels, and that will expose them to our brand of basketball. It's like if you build it, they would come. That's how we created this league. We need some help. We need our Canadians to help us, right? We need to help yeah. here right at home. But from my perspective and internationally, and we'll go to play, you know, in the Champions League for FIBA in the next couple months and expose our brand again. We are well regarded. And I think we're well regarded at home as well, just not by not enough people because they haven't been able to experience it yet. Right. You're a sports fan. And for those who don't know, Mike played in the CFL. There might be some trophies behind him that would suggest (laughs) that he played in the CFL after starring at McMaster University. And uh, you, sports basketball and Canada basketball, have bought in to your league. Why was it important for to, to get them involved? Because it's the right thing to do. I mean, again, it goes back to when we play. We had access to the best of our Canadian talent. Where the G League is finished, the NBA is finished, international leagues are finished. Uh, we're playing FIBA basketball. We're trying to develop people for the senior men's national team. The team that played in Hamilton, the World Cup qualifiers, you know, a month ago had seven CBL players on it. I mean, that to me speaks for itself. And it also had NBA players on it. So, you know, 
Youth sports is the developmental chuck, the angle. It's the what we're trying to do to keep more players here, to develop a pathway to the pros, to teach them FIBA and give them that experience. Our overseas players, we want to bring them back, showcase them, help them build a brand at home because life in basketball doesn't uh, last forever. And we're doing it the right way by working with Canada basketball, using their officiating, and really developing together. We have a lot of developing to do in Canada basketball. We have a lot of networking to do, and the ecosystem is large, and we're really trying to pull everybody together. We're a great support system for one another, and we just continue to want to work together to make it even better. All right, so I'm trying to give you the platform to talk to Canadian sports fans. What do you want them to know most about what you guys are trying to accomplish in your league? We're really trying to take the success of the Toronto Raptors and what they've done and the trajectory of basketball and the communities across this country that have been underserved, that don't look like you and me for years and years and years and put a pro team in their market in their backyard so they can rally around it. The community can rally around it. They can watch tremendous basketball, but they can also have a pathway like I did sitting in the stands at everyone's stadium watching my heroes you know, play football. That drove me to be on that court or on that field. We're trying to deliver that same message for men and women, boys and girls, moms and dads, that this is a pathway for success and you can achieve great success in this league. And I, you wouldn't be able to tell who the Canadian is, who the American is, and who the international players are. I mean, that's the big thing. We have right. 16 countries represented this year with players on our court. I mean, I think that's pretty incredible. Basketball is a global game, and we're really proud of it. You mentioned the women there, Mikey. Is there is there a pathway maybe down the road to uh, to adding some uh, some women's teams? I, I would love to. You know, it, it takes it's going to take some support, but we have the platform, we have the infrastructure. We've done this now ten times over, and we'll do it more times into the future. So there is an opportunity and the ability for us to assist in a major, major way. It'll take other parties to make it happen, but I'll be the first to put my hand up and say, let's let's find a way to make it work. That's awesome. Uh, great catching up with you. Congratulations on the fourth season. And uh, we're looking forward to Champs League and the fifth season coming up, Mike. Thank you, sir. There is the commissioner of the CEBL, Mike Morial. Jesse, you and I had a conversation as soon as the show ended yesterday on whether or not we think this can work in Canada. Having heard what Mike just said, does that alter your opinion at all? Does it, does it add to your opinion at all? Because you and I both didn't have the answer to it. I think it's a difficult one. I think uh, from listening to him talk, he certainly has a pathway to getting there. Like he is, seems like the right man for the job and knows what he's doing and knows what he's talking about. And the I fact that part he of even, that has to do with his experience in the CFL yeah. and the CFLPA. And even the fact that you were able to, to ask him about potentially having a women's league too. Like it just shows, and he, was, he didn't shut that down immediately. It just, it just proves to me that he sees avenues to grow. Right. And that's the biggest thing. It's like they're not dead on arrival like so many of these national leagues have been for so many years. Yeah, that's, that's it's, the truth. Yeah, it's coming. And, and Drake's Instagram, and we were joking about it yesterday, but things like that only help get it out into the public consciousness. And I'm sure he he loved seeing that because it's going to help grow the game, and that's his job is right. to grow the sport. And I would just say, like, listen, I don't care if it's CHL hockey. I don't care if it's U sports, and I think my past would suggest all of this. Yeah. I just think that we need to embrace sports culture as a whole if we want to get better at blank. blank. Totally. Women's hockey, um, men's hockey, everyone will benefit if you go to watch more grassroots stuff because then there becomes 
a little bit more money in the pile and advertisers will get more involved and that can help our benefit our national teams even more. And yet here we are with the World Juniors not getting anybody out to see the games. Mm. <laughs> Time for one last break. We'll get the last call. Jesse Rubinoff after this. Love it. Welcome back to Tim and Friends. Time for Last Call with Jesse Rubinoff. And I think because of our question of Yusei Kikuchi, we're going to get DFA trending in Canada because the <laughs> vast majority of what to do with Yusei Kikuchi is three letters. DFA. Yeah, yeah. You could say a lot of Jays fans are choked about what's going on with Yusei Kikuchi. Yeah, don't try and work that into the equation now. That, I mean, you're the young guy at this table. You're supposed to know what these things mean. Uh, you uh, constantly tell me how yeah. you are the young guy at this table. And uh, I'm the old guy at this table. No, that was a particularly bad moment for for me, particularly. Mm. Uh, you, you know, whatever. It's fine. Son, let's see if my son knows. I guarantee. I guarantee you, he does. You I guarantee so? it. One hundred percent. All right, I'll ask. All right, let's begin with some golf beef. Uh, Tiger Woods traveled to Delaware today to meet with a group of top PGA players ahead of this week's BMW Championship. Now. It's part of the tour's effort to rally support in its ongoing battle with Live Golf. Timmy, Tiger, he's there. He's the head honcho. How do you imagine this meeting is playing out at the moment? Uh, the video is awesome. It's almost what we wanted to get with Kawhi Leonard and the helicopter yes, in Toronto. Yes, but never the got. infamous. Yeah, that visual of just... Tiger Woods getting off of the plane, getting into the car. Like, this is big time it's stuff. It's like Stone Cold it coming is. out. Oh, yeah. yeah. Should've, we should have added the music. Yeah. <laughs> the glass. Glass cracking, yeah. yeah. <laughs> By the way, like, that is, is it not the, like, the oldest man in, like, this is the dad look for Tiger Woods with no hat yeah. and the shirt and the... Yeah, limping, too. It looks stiff coming off the plane, which I don't like particularly, but yeah, whatever. Uh, we, we have... Um, being told mm. uh, breaking news and exclusive footage what? on uh, on how this is breaking down. Now it's exclusive to Shooter McGavin on uh. Twitter, uh, but this is how it is breaking down inside the meeting between PGA Tour pros and Tiger Woods, who's come in to save the day. Shooter, take it away. He's in the ground. He is exactly like you in every way. Except one-eighth your size. Breathtaking. I shall call him... Mini-Me. But not even that can save the PGA Tour at this point. You don't think so? No, I, I, I think they're fighting a lost cause. And I have nearly from the start. Like, once we started seeing the secondary defections from the PGA Tour... What, what are they going to do? They already tried to find... They found, miraculously, how many, $20 million, $200 million? What, what did they find? Like, Jay Monahan and yeah. the PGA Tour found this money that they were going to add to the equation to try and keep guys there. Like, you are fighting unlimited pockets. And eventually, like all things in the media, where people feign all of this discontent, and some of it's real. I get it. The vast majority of people don't give a bleep 
they will just watch what is the best tour and this tour doesn't even care if you're watching they're still giving money what happens if the pga boycotts the majors says we're not going that's an interesting one i'll, I'll have a listen then that, that might be the only way that they do it is to boycott the majors and force the majors into making a decision between live and pga but if it's just bottomless pockets of money being thrown at people it's so hard for these golfers to say no you know what the ultimate dagger would be you offer charlie woods billion dollars for when he turns pro <laughs> but he's done being an amateur well, isn't isn't charlie woods didn't we look it up and he was like 90 seconds <laughs> in yeah, florida group? Yeah. yeah we did look it up yeah. but still you offer him a billion anyway uh you were talking about bad teams and bad owners earlier in the show with respect to the chicago white Sox, and according to a report on cnbc today Knicks and rangers owner james dolan yeah. is planning to sell the teams within the next few years how do you think that is being received in new york How do I think that's being received in New York? How do I think that's being received in New York? They are going absolutely positively bananas. At a parade. What? Yeah, they're probably throwing a parade. They they should be throwing a parade. There should be ticker tapes. There should be bing bongs. They should be going absolutely bananas in New York right now. In fact, (laughs) I've heard that we've got video of what's going on in New York right now. We do? Double f***ing overtime! What the f***, baby? New York is f***ing back! Knicks are here, baby! The Knicks are f***ing here, baby! Fresh out the garden, baby! We're taking it all the way! We have DePlazio, we have Cuomo, it was rough f***, but we have the Knicks! Top New York! Knicks run New York City! Bing bong! Tell me that's so, KD! Don't you regret not coming to the Knicks! Don't you regret not coming to the Knicks! Boston! James Dolan selling the team, New York, live. I I know this is a loaded statement. That might be my favorite video of all time. Let's cut this the way it was supposed to be cut. James Dolan selling the team. Here's a live reaction from New York. (laughs) Double f***ing overtime! (laughs) What the f***, baby? (laughs) New York is... Knicks are here, baby. The Knicks the are here, baby. Fresh out the garden, baby. We're taking it all the way. We have DePlazio. We had Cuomo. It was rough, <laughs> but we have the Knicks. That's New York. Knicks run New York City. <laughs> Bing bong. Tell me a little something, KD. Don't you regret not coming to the Knicks? Don't you regret not coming to the Knicks? Boston. And how did it turn out? Yeah. Wasn't that De- <laughs> Dezus, Dezus and Mero? Wasn't Dezus somewhere in, somewhere in there? Uh, Dezus and Mero. Dezus? Yeah. Here we Dezus. go. Here we go. De- it's a hard name to pronounce sometimes. Get out of here. You know, this is just speaking of names. Uh, speaking of names. Stop it over there. A couple of weeks ago, on last call, uh, while David you were on De vacation. Jesus yeah, we talked about <laughs> Nebraska freshman receiver. DeColdest Crawford signing a name, image, and likeness deal with a heating and cooling company in Omaha. And now they've released their first commercial. I'm so glad we called SOS. Our AC is the coldest. I'm always the coldest. 
Hey, this is Dakota Scrawford, wide receiver from Louisiana, now playing at Lincoln. When your AC isn't the coldest, you call SOS heating and cooling. Their takes don't make commissions, so they give you an honest opinion, fair pricing, and longer warranties than a competition guaranteed. Take it from the coldest. We'll keep you cool this summer. It's genius. That is among, among the best yeah. NILs that is out there. <laughs> really? By far. I, I, it's so funny, though, that they can't use University of Nebraska in yeah. any of that. <laughs> so they have just to, has to be Lincoln. Yeah. Very good. <laughs> Wide receiver, Lincoln. <laughs> uh, what is your uh, dream endorsement? deal there's a lot of options so i can stall for a bit if you need to take some time to yeah i mean we've talked about this before i do enjoy the golf town uh, yeah, sponsorship nice. that is very yeah. good yeah. Uh, if i were to add more to the equation uh there would probably be a rather expensive car company added to the equation uh, all expensive car companies i'm listening you are a golf town uh, ambassador if i uh, do yeah, so that's it, yeah. yeah, that's just, yeah.